Hello, everyone. This is Sakeb Ali hosting another episode of the conversation called Cricket with an Accent. And today's episode is, is going to be another special one. I know we say this every time, but, you know, if you hear the context, it is special. We have, first of all, the honor of hosting arguably one of the great writers of the internet cricket era, Siddharth Vaidyanathan. Uh, I don't really know, have to give an introduction. Most of you who follow me already know him and his exploits and his work and uh, how prolific he is. And then we'll be talking about uh, the legend of MS Dhoni. So Sid B, as he's known on Twitter, welcome to the show. And it's an absolute honor having you here. Thank you so much, uh, Sakib. It's a pleasure for me to be here and talk to you. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully uh, all your listeners will uh, enjoy this chat. A couple of the guys who are behind my podcast are huge fans of your work, like I am. And, you know, like uh, this is where one of my friends, he doesn't want to be known on Twitter, but he said, you know, if you're getting Sid B, I'm very excited. He is the best writer of the internet generation. So that's a heavy tag, but it's not coming lightly. So let me, let me just, you know, I don't want to embarrass you, but again, that's the kind of work you and some of the guys have done. And people like us who consume cricket feel very fortunate when we see, you know, your columns and, you know, it's pretty enlightening stuff. Very, so what's your, very humble to hear that. <laughs> no, no, I'm not making this stuff up. I mean, you know, your work speaks for yourself and I'm, I'm so honored that you're here. So what's the association of the game? When did you... Uh, know there was a writing gene inside you when you follow cricket. Just give us some background how Sidby, the writer, especially the cricket writer, was born. I stumbled into cricket writing, actually. I'm a mechanical engineering by, engineer by profession. Uh, that may sound uh, really uh, bizarre uh, to many, but I don't think it should, actually, because in India, uh, especially in South India, for a long time, uh, engineering has been like a de facto uh, stream for uh, people to take. And, um, you know, given a choice, I would have loved to study literature or mathematics or something or pure science, something on that front. But, uh, you know, back in the late 90s in India, it just engineering seemed like the default option. So I took it. I didn't really, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I was passionate about it. I did okay. And uh, but I realized uh, halfway through that, okay, this is not something that I can that I would want to do for the rest of my life. So I was in that typical uh, early 20s where you go through that phase of not knowing what to do and uh, you're a little confused you know that what you're doing is uh, not exactly your passion so I spent a couple of years in that little bit of a, uh, con- a conflicted zone like m- many people do and then uh, luck- uh, luckily around that time the timing worked out that uh, around 2003 was when um, you know Crickinfo was uh, Crickinfo was already there but that's around when it was really picking picking up steam and Wisden uh, the English uh, legendary English publication bought Crickinfo in 2003 and uh, from 2001 onwards there used to be this magazine Wisden Asia Cricket which I used to read really um, regularly and there was some fantastic writing in there it was cricket writing that uh, you know that one hadn't seen that much of in India it was uh, uh, profiles and features and uh, sort of offbeat writing, which was different from newspapers and things. So I used to read that magazine and they uh, came up with this contribution, contributors uh, pitch in kind of a section. And I wrote a couple of articles for them thinking, you know, hopefully I'll get published. I didn't have any thoughts of uh, becoming a cricket writer then, but I just thought I had a lot to say about cricket. And I, here was this publication I enjoyed. So I wrote for them. And uh, interestingly, uh, one of the, their editor, who is still their editor now, Sambit Bal, he wrote back to me and he um, asked me, hey, I've, I've got these articles of yours. They, you seem to have a spark. What do you do? And uh, can you tell me more about yourself? And so I told him exactly what I just told you about uh, being in the zone where I had no idea what to do. But I said, I'm passionate about cricket. So, um, and then we went back and forth for a while. He told me to write a few more articles. And it so happened that they had a vacancy then in Mumbai. Uh, for uh, for somebody to come and work in their office. And uh, even without seeing me, just for, with emails and a phone conversation, he offered me a job. And I said, okay, what do I have to lose? You know, I, 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 I can take it up and then maybe work for a little while. And if I don't like it, then okay, uh, do something else or go back to engineering or do, do whatever else. But I took it up. Uh, my parents were supportive. And um, yeah, it started from there. And uh, Worked there till 2008. Um, after that, left, came to the US, uh, did, a, did a, a graduate degree in journalism, worked for the Wall Street Journal for a while, uh, and their associate Dow Jones uh, Newswires. I did a little bit of um, uh, feature writing for them and also business reporting and uh, 
copy editing and I was like a jack of all trades for them. But then in 2012, I decided I wanted to be my, by myself and do some freelance writing on various topics. Uh, fiction was a big passion of mine uh, and also, uh, you know, feature writing and cricket writing. So I quit in 2012 and I've uh, lived in Seattle pretty much since then. And I've been a freelance writer and editor. Uh, edit, I was part of the team that uh, put together the Cricket Monthly magazine, which started in 2014. I was uh, also, I've done a lot of cricket writing for Crickinfo, I wrote a column for Cricket Next. I, uh, I've been having running a blog since 2010. And yes, uh, fiction wise, I recently released my first novel. So, uh, so <laughs> apologies for meandering so much, but that is my story about writing and cricket and my life for, for the last uh, 15, 20 years or so. Yeah, that's quite uh, a few uh, fascinating paths. And uh, we've always been told, like, especially our generation, you know, that uh, don't go after the de facto path that was carved. But, you know, but that was the India back then. And you're not alone. A lot of uh, brilliant folks like yourself have, have done that. And then, you know, the, the passion somehow does, you know, find its own way. But you did mention something before we started recording that you're one of the founding fathers, as I would say, for the Cricket Monthly magazine. And that, that magazine is godsend. So we always talk about, I also do a tennis podcast and uh, we always hear that the younger generation, especially from American tennis coaches, they tell me uh, the younger generation, the attention span is like way less. What someone could explain on a tennis lesson, say for 20 minutes, now you have less than a minute to explain to these guys. So let's bring that whole span across, you know, the cricket audience. While I'm in my mid forties, I like what I see on Cricket Monthly. I consume those articles. Those are like great articles. But who's the target audience? I mean, I don't want you to get into the metrics, but I mean, that's very old school writing. So is there still an audience for that? I would like to believe that. And then how different it is than the actual Crick Info side, what distinguishes the two? What kind of work? Uh, is it an overlap, what the writers are doing on both sides? Or the columns are definitely more a deeper dive. They are not like a standard 700 or 1,000 you know, word article. So uh, share more light on, you know, the magazine than the versus the site. Yeah. So when the Cricket Monthly began in 2000, um, the idea, you know, came up in around 2012, 2013. It was to, um, you know, have, have like a pure digital long form cricket magazine. And uh, we knew back then that we were not looking at like massive audiences for it. But we also felt that uh, there are, there is a certain section of uh, uh, cricket lovers who really look for such content. And, you know, given that it was part of Crickinfo, um, we felt that, uh, you know, ultimately Crickinfo would have to subsidize such a magazine. Uh, but we thought that, you know, after a few years, we could reach a stage where the magazine could become self-sustaining. Uh, and, uh, you know, it may not make a profit or it may not make a big money. But even then, even if a long form magazine is self-sustaining, that is an achievement in itself. Uh, so that was the idea. And then we began in 2014 and uh, that started off as, a, as an app, actually. So we were hoping that uh, we could uh, get people to download the app and read the whole magazine there, which would also give them a flavor of uh, reading an actual magazine. So if uh, back then, if you had downloaded our app on, say, an iPad or any other tablet, you would have uh, felt uh, like reading a physical magazine, which was uh, and it was a really well-designed magazine. Unfortunately, um, you know, cricket's not was we realized cricket is not yet there where people are willing to download an app, even if even if uh, it's for free, you know, people are not willing to take that step and for reading such a magazine. So then what happened is it became purely an online um, magazine. So a lot of articles just went online like in Crickinfo. The difference was that Crickinfo was focused on the here and now. So daily match reports, daily analysis and things. But Cricket Monthly, we thought should be more about uh, timelessness. You pick out uh, themes and trends, um, you know, over a period of years, you can talk a lot about history, you can, um, you know, come up with uh, quite a few offbeat columns and uh, topics to talk about. Uh, we tried quite a few things between uh, 2014 and till I was there in 2018. And I think, uh, a lot of it was well received and a lot of the pieces continue to do the rounds. Even, even now, you know, I occasionally find people sharing pieces from the cricket monthly, like Dhoni recently retired. And there was a piece that uh, Siddharth Monga had written for the uh, first issue of the cricket monthly. 
which was a cover story on Dhoni and that was being shared all over. And so the pieces are there and the pieces are still read and liked and cherished. But uh, yeah, as a business model, I think uh, long form cricket writing is still uh, needs like a larger umbrella organization or, you know, a benevolent, uh, you know, somebody with the deep pockets to sustain mm. it. I don't think it is in a position to sustain itself. Fair to say it's like uh, the test match. And if uh, cricket info is like the white ball cricket. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy, actually. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, again, uh, like I said, I mean, uh, I've done use those articles uh, as research when I bring uh, a guest like yourself or Ayaz or someone, because uh, those are like, you know, mini essays where a lot is unpacked and, you know, it has uh, this uh, lot of great context. So you also have a novel that just came out and uh, it's definitely your audience is wider. You write about uh, just more than cricket. So what is that novel about? Uh, if uh, someone here on this podcast is listening, I'm sure, you know, it's already well known. Uh, what I gather is about boyhood and some, you know, sometimes how uh, going back to school days, I'm trying to get a copy from India by myself, but I want to hear from you if you want to talk about the Yeah, novel. I would say broadly it's about boyhood. It uh, traces the, you know, one year in the life of a 12-year-old boy. Um, now he is... Um, you know, I, I tried to uh, uh, sort of uh, put him, you know, try to bring out the challenges that one faces at that age. And so the voice of the, uh, that I've tried to adopt is the voice of that 12 year old. You know, of course, um, the language um, is not entirely, it's a delicate balance, you know, between writing as an adult, but also trying to bring out the feelings and the sensations and the worries and fears of a 12 year old. So that's what I've tried to do. It was a challenge doing that, but I felt, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to bring that out. And uh, it's a combination of his life in school. Uh, you know, he goes to this elite uh, Christian missionary school, which is uh, known to produce uh, really, really great uh, alumni and, and uh, you know, sportsmen and uh, successful people. And then he's also from a very sheltered and conservative uh, household. So I wanted to bring out this balance between, you know, how... When you're young, you often uh, struggle to straddle these two worlds. You know, you have this one world where everything is um, set and according to rules and there's discipline. You're supposed to be very uh, respectful of elders and uh, religion and all that. And then, of course, you have this school, which is an all boys set up, rowdy, boisterous, is sort of a law unto itself. So I tried to compare and contrast the life between the two worlds and then brought out the various challenges that one goes through. There's also a bit of cricket in that, by the way, uh, because uh, in school life, you know, like many of us have experienced, there's also a cricket in school in terms of um, between two schools or between within the school itself. And so there is a whole chapter, uh, uh, more than a chapter, actually, a chapter and a half about this uh, cricket tournament that happens in the school. So, yeah, sort of a mix and match of uh, a lot of my interests. <laughs> yeah, and, and one reviewer, I think, on Amazon US already compared it with some shades of Malgrudy days. So I'm sure that's, that's a very happy side when someone's writing that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, and it's, uh, that was a great uh, sort of uh, you know, compliment for me because uh, R.K. Narayan has always been a writer who I've uh, loved ri- reading right from my childhood days. And uh, I would like to think that, uh, you know, the, it is, uh, if, if that is uh, what they think, then, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I couldn't have got a higher compliment. And who's the target audience? I'm sure uh, it's just not the younger people. I'm sure uh, middle-aged adults like myself, you know, I'm sure I- I'm buying the book, but who's the target audience when you wrote this book? In my yeah, I think it's actually speaking, I didn't write it for kids. I mean, I think this is an adult book because um, a lot of what you experience as a child you make sense of it only when you grow up. And uh, a lot of, I mean, of course, kids can read it if they want. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thinking like high school kids, if they read it, they may find funny passages. They may find some things that they can relate to. But I think to get the full import of it, I would be looking at somebody who is uh, 20 or older, or maybe people in our age, you know, especially because um, this book is set in the early 90s. So people like us who grew up around then will identify a lot with the setting with the scene with the India back then, which was very different from from what India is now. Uh, you know, that was just about when uh, liberalization had come in and um, it was still like a, a different world back then. So yeah, be, uh, people in their 30s and 40s would probably relate to it the most. Yeah, I can't uh, wait to get the copy myself. So 
again, congrats on the book. I hope, uh, you know, it, it sells and becomes a bestseller. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you. And we can, you know, <laughs> we can have you again back on the show. Uh, <laughs> sure. So MS Dhoni, again, uh, the main topic today, uh, we, you know, we were planning another podcast, but then this, uh, this announcement came and, uh, Again, one of the very popular, but at the same time, very polarizing figures. So when you think of Dhoni as a writer, uh, what is the first thing that comes to mind? I'm sure you've you know, covered a good part of the decade talking about him professionally and writing about him. But what stands out if I were to wake you up and ask Dhoni like out of sleep? What are the first thing that's going to come to mind? Oh, well, if you wake me up and ask me, well, I think the first thing that'll come to mind is winner. You know, uh, because, um, you know, it's uh, I mean, by winner, I just don't mean, you know, somebody who has won matches for India, which of course he has done, but also the fact that how he has uh, constantly, uh, right from uh, his younger days, overcome so many obstacles to become triumphant, you know, in his career, in his cricket, uh, you know, the, the, the his whole uh, arrival, you know, a lot has been said about it, but I still think that it's a uh, uh, full of, uh, uh, it's it's such a commendable feat for a uh, for a boy and for a young cricketer to come from a place like Ranchi in the late 90s, you know, and to uh, you know stick it out there in domestic cricket for five years, be sort of uh, be quite anonymous. I mean, he would have hardly had any people, anyone watching him or any uh, journalists covering him between 99 and uh, 2003, and it was only in 2003, 2004 that he actually came into the spotlight. So I, I think of him as, a, as somebody who has overcome a lot all through the years to be successful. I mean, he is a, 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 quite a self-made uh, cricketer and, um, you know, without uh, often, especially early in life, without too much of support, without too much of uh, help from, uh, you know, benefactors or godfathers or, you know, even without uh, much infrastructure in the state in which he was playing. You know, it's not like um, Sachin who came from Mumbai and Mumbai is the capital of uh, cricket in India. And so, you know, of course, not uh, downplaying what uh, Sachin did, but I'm saying he had everything right there for him. But Dhoni had to overcome all that and uh, to do what he did, it's, uh, it makes him one of the great cricketers that we've had. Actually, that's a perfect response for the other question I had in mind. I was watching... Uh, the YouTube, I think, video of Rajdeep Sardesai's Democracy 11 that came out a few years ago. And Harsha Bhogle was uh, facilitating this conversation between Tendulkar, Gavaskar and Sardesai. And then he asked something to Sunny Gavaskar. And then Gavaskar said, you know what, the biggest catalyst in Indian cricket has been Kapil Dev. Because uh, not only, you know, what he turned out to be, but he came, like you said, he came from a non-cricketing city. Or, a, you know, where culture wasn't as strong as like Mumbai or, you know, Karnataka or Delhi, you know, where the powerhouse of Indian cricket, you know, were formed. So do you think in that regard, with Kapil as the original game changer, how far has Dhoni's rise taken that? I mean, uh, again, now you see cricketers coming from different parts of India. Not only his success, I mean, uh, his, his stay as Indian captain and what has that meant to uh, elaborate, you know, to uh, the non-cricketing centres, uh, the non-power centers of Indian cricket. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Kapil Dev uh, is the pioneer, no doubt about it. I mean, um, Chandigarh in the 1970s uh, was again totally um, a non-mainstream center, and for someone like that to come through and you know uh, become as great as he was, Kapil definitely opened up a lot of uh, uh, you know floodgates. Opened up the floodgates, and uh, you know a whole generation when you. When you're growing up in a small town, I mean, I'm not from a small town, I'm from Bangalore, but I know a lot of people who have grown up in small towns. And for them, you know, it just takes that one person, uh, that one hero. And then the whole town is sort of galvanized around this person and like, okay, he has gone on, he has been selected to play for India. So why not me? And that kind of motivation is a very, very strong uh, force and a very, very strong impetus for cricketers. And uh, Dhoni, yes, I mean, he was, uh, of course, uh, he, his timing was perfect because around when he came around, 2003, 2004 is when uh, the BCCI was really putting in a lot of effort to find cricketers from all over India. You know, it was around when the TRDO system, the talent uh, um, wing, uh, was quite big and there were... Uh, talent officers going around all over India searching for 
the next big uh, players and uh, you know they had a very diligent system they had uh, they had points for each cricketer you know for various uh, kind of categories they would say how does he do under pressure how does he uh, perform in uh, certain situations how is his fitness and they had it was a commendable system and uh, as uh, they have shown in the movie dhoni as well as as people have written about it it was one such trdo officer who spotted him prakash podar and he spotted him and he then found out that uh, his name was not even in the system because he was uh, you know uh, i think he was 23 by then or 22 or 23 and it was only cricketers under 21 who were in the system because they felt you know if uh, they are looking for talent they should be looking for people under 21 but dhoni was over that but uh, yet this man said no but uh, that's uh, just because he's uh, one year or two years older doesn't mean he should be missed and he found him and then through that he sort of dhoni came into the uh, zonal teams and then uh, he was picked to play for india a and all that so the timing was vital but i think also what he has done uh, around then is when a lot of cricketers from up came in uh, suresh raina rp singh and all that uh, shrishant was one cricketer who came from kerala again uh, quite a non mainstream cricketing center and then things just opened up you know of course harbhajan and zahir khan were there already there Uh, from small towns but um, you know ranchi in the 90s would have been uh, uh, to come from there to go on to play for india captain india and be an all time great yeah it's a hell of a story it is that's why we we already have a film made on it so uh, let's let's talk about uh, dhoni the i mean let's talk about dhoni the cricketer first so how hard what is was it to write about a man who did not give much i mean over the years his relationship with press was there even a relationship he was always you know short on words and uh, uh, if you were in close quarters or your colleagues uh, and sudhat monga famously in one of those cricket monthly articles said that there was no you know politics of the old school where you know you have to write gossip and you have to be one of the chosen ones in a circle with dhoni's rise it, it was clear that you just have to write about cricket so how did the writing change around him and how how hard was he or was he hard a man to write about i don't know if the couple of questions there unpack the way you feel like yeah so i actually am fortunate to have uh, done two long interviews with dhoni at a time when he was still giving interviews uh, this was uh, so i spoke to him for the first time in 2006 in pakistan uh, and i was i wrote a long uh, cover story for uh, cricket info magazine which was like the precursor to the cricket monthly uh and i also uh, interviewed him again in 2008 after india won the you know the cb series in australia that was a big uh, victory for him and um, and again that was a long interview it was a two part interview um the first one is uh, not online they haven't uh, put the story online because it was in the magazine i have no idea why they haven't put it online but the second one is online so you know people can uh, go and uh, search that or you can link it uh, if you want but i was uh, lucky to get an idea of uh, his thinking and he spoke a lot about his uh, captaincy in the second interview and he spoke a lot about his uh, upbringing in the first interview so that way i was lucky so i have drawn on uh, those uh, that material quite often to um, when i was writing about him but i think he was also to the second part of your question he was also heavily influenced by what happened during the greg chapel and rahul dravid years when a lo- the media was so polarized between uh, you know being a pro chapel and anti chapel or pro ganguly and anti ganguly whatever way you want to look at it that uh, there was uh, on a daily basis there used to be leaks about what was happening in the team uh, you know somebody or the other was always leaking out information and material and so if you read the articles between 2005 and 2007 there is more gossip in there than there is cricket or there is more um, you know strong opinions in there on whether uh, chapel is good for indian cricket and ganguly is bad for indian cricket than the actual performance of the team which was actually pretty good for quite a bit of that stretch and i think that's one of the reasons why the rahul dravid era is often forgotten as a pretty good era for indian cricket because you know most of what was happening then was gossip and i think dhoni was deeply affected by that and realized early in his captaincy that uh, you know it can't go on that way that that is actually very harmful to the team and so when he became captain that one of the things that um, he was pretty keen on was number one limit your interactions with the media 
and number two that uh, you know if you are going to be leaking stuff from the team then you are only doing more harm than good and uh, your chances of uh, being in the team then are not going to be that high so in fact there have been some cricketers who uh, he has not taken to kindly for i mean i don't want to name it because i don't have proof but i have heard that you know he has not really been that through the years he has not been happy with certain cricketers who were trying to you know pass on information to the press and pass on inside information and things and if he found out he would be pretty pissed off with that so yeah i think uh, that is a very important uh, contribution that he has made that uh, he made a lot of the discourse around the team around cricket rather than around this camp or that camp or this being a you know a rift in the team or there being this that of course the media would always try and bring out those kind of stories but by and large i think uh, he was pretty good with that yeah and, and you're absolutely right i mean uh, i'm going to listen to this answer again because you unpacked quite a lot when i'm going to do the editing but what i retained is also it's very consistent if you in hindsight look at his career i mean certain choices he made that transformed his himself as a leader of the indian team or a cricketer who played for india and what he saw unfold during that uh, dravid uh, uh, chapel ganguly phase he also then i think maybe that gave him fuel that you know to keep his distance and there were so many rumors around him how he treated the seniors and there's not really much coming out of dhoni himself it was always the selectors who gave him a team and he just played the senior players and that's how the legend goes so my next question is you you started writing just before the uh, dravid the ganguly dravid chapel era ushered so how hard was it for dhoni to take over a team where at least it seemed the team was semi divided okay dravid is a class guy never gave anything away after he gave away captaincy the team has to be you know somewhat egos have to be fractured in there and compare that to what you've heard or what you've seen as a fan when ganguly took over the team after the sachin azhar era yeah i think uh, there are some similarities for sure and uh, you know i think talking about the chapel uh, era dhoni was perhaps the only cricketer that i can think of in that team who you cannot really slot in any camp you know every other cricketer you pretty much knew whether he was in the ganguly camp or the chapel camp but dhoni was so neutral because number one he never spoke to anyone about uh, you know anything like there was no leak or there was no off the record quote even that he gave people about what he thought about uh, chapel or what he thought about this his role in the team was to be there and to do what the team required to improve himself as a cricketer and to try and uh, help the team win and he stuck to that and for a relatively young cricketer to come into the team and be so neutral is commendable in itself because uh, invariably you're drawn to certain groups you're drawn to certain camps there are pressures to take a stance on this or that and he didn't do it and so that is a big big um you know commendable thing that he did as far as the comparison goes i think um, you know one of the things that dhoni probably had easier is that uh, a lot of the cricketers had and a lot of talented cricketers had already started coming in uh, because of uh, chapel and dravid now for all their faults and for all his faults greg chapel also uh brought in and identified cricketers who could uh, play for india and do well for india you know i'm talking about the suresh raina and uh, shrishant and everyone who he backed uh and uh, he also put a focus on fast bowling he uh, chapel and dravid both of them said always said that india can only win abroad if they have a good fast bowling setup and so munaf patel shrishant rp singh the return of zahir khan if you remember zahir khan was out of the team uh till 2006 but then he came back and then he you know started performing well so all those pieces were starting to come together when dhoni took over the uh captain the 2020 captaincy in uh, 2007 and then the test captaincy uh, the year later so that way he had the pieces working for him ganguly in a sense he lost a lot of uh, the team so all the new players who came in uh you know he had to sort of he ha- he had to be the one who told them that uh, hey uh, i'll back you you guys just go ahead and play like that's why even till today yuvraj singh virender sehwag harbhajan singh all of them swear by ganguly because that was around the stage when he told them that uh, irrespective of whether you perform well or whether you perform badly i you have my back and uh, so i think that way uh, i don't think dhoni necessarily did that to any cricketer 
and uh, what uh, Chapel and Dravid had done to a few cricketers, I think he benefited from. But yes, overall, uh, both of them had very challenging tasks ahead. And uh, I think, uh, in a way, um, I would say Dhoni even more so because he had never captained in any form of cricket before that. He had not captained his state side. He had not even captained his um, you know, junior sides. It, so, the first ever time he took a leadership role was with India. And uh, mm. so, that way, for him to then blossom the way he did as a leader is uh, quite amazing. And definitely, captaining in India is not easy. I mean, every man, every fan has an opinion. It's pretty much like the two toughest jobs in India is the Prime Minister of India and Captain of India. And in US, the President of US. Everyone has an opinion. But I'll tie in something here with captaincy and batting, and that is about his mental toughness. And I'll try to use a quote from one of your articles. It's your quote. I mean, you wrote about it in 2007 when you explained his mental toughness and you said something like this. Toughness can partly be explained by his evolution as a batsman. He spent half a lifetime trying to convince people that his batting style can actually work. So do you, do you see any similarities how he batted and how he captained? It's a vague question. But if you've uh, you know, covered in him in depth like you have, uh, because I see certain similarities because he was doing things that nobody before him did. And of course, sometimes those same things backfire. We'll get into how the batting became his demise in his last years. But uh, do you see any similarity how he batted and how he captained? I think so. I think I know that confidence is something that's, uh, that runs through both of it. And, uh, you know, for somebody, you know, just imagine again, you're in a small town, you're this cricketer who, you know, has made a name for himself as a big hitter, right? In, in early 2000s. And uh, you're known as somebody who hits big sixes, you're aggressive, you're this. And then you have this year, I think it was, I think either 2001 or 2002, it might have been 2002, when he had a very poor year in the first class cricket, Ranji Trophy and even the one day games. And he had people coming up and telling him, you know, hey, maybe you're being too aggressive. Maybe, you know, don't try and hit everything. Try and, you know, be a little more uh, patient. Don't. And then he had people telling him, you know, start slowly. And then maybe once you're set, you can start hitting. And so for a youngish cricketer, you know, he was probably, what, 20 then. For somebody like that to get that advice, to have a poor year, to to be playing for a state where not many cricketers get selected for India anyway, to then say that, no, this is how I'm going to play. I'm this aggressive batsman and I will continue to be an aggressive batsman. If the first ball is there to be hit, I will hit it. And for him to say that takes a tremendous level of confidence in one's own ability. And to say, hey, I'll, I, I'm backing myself. And I think that runs through his captaincy too. I mean, he uh, had certain ideas. Uh, in 2007, the first time he was appointed in, for that World T20 in um, South Africa, nobody gave India a chance. The senior players weren't there. Young Indian team was there. He was captaining this bunch of uh, young guys. And, uh, you know, to go on and win that World Cup, to uh, make uh, some of those decisions that he took, you know, like, uh, the, of course, the most famous one being bowling Joginder Sharma in the final over of that match. But also... Quite a few other things, you know, he played um, a cricketer like he played Yusuf Patan. He decided to play him in that final and to push him up the order. He also, uh, through the tournament, you know, against uh, Australia in that semi-final, he made quite a few very, very bold decisions. And uh, I think that confidence that he has had um, is a, a big thread that runs between his batting and his captaincy. It's fair to say he's, uh, you know, legendary ODI captain. But in test matches, again, the common theme is he let a lot of test matches drift away. Wasn't aggressive enough and uh, wasn't innovative enough. Uh, uh, you think those are some of uh, those thoughts or those verdicts from fans are harsh or you see some validity, how he captained the red ball cricket? And then part B, uh, how surprising was that move when he gave up captaincy in Australia during the tour? Yeah, I think uh, there is some validity to that for sure. Um, he um, could in one-day cricket and in T20 cricket, uh, he was he always came across as a, a captain who was ready to try new things. And even if it meant trying without uh, any too much logic, he was still ready to try. You know, he would uh, even if uh, <laughs> sometimes he uh, once he told me in that 2007 interview that he's spoken about. Apparently, in that uh, semi-final against Australia in the World T20. In 2007, Gilchrist and Hayden were just, uh, you know, blasting the Indian bowlers all over the place. And then he told uh, Irfan Patan that I'm going to put a really wide slip uh, fielder there. 
and Irfan Patan's like, uh, what are you talking about? This guy, these guys are hitting sixes. Why are you putting a slip fielder, like a wide slip fielder? And he said, see, if they're going to hit sixes, it's going for six anyway. We are not able to stop it. So let's just put a fielder there and uh, make them think. Let's make them think that we have a strategy. We, we don't have a strategy, but let's make them think. And <laughs> so that's the kind of, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing you would do in a street cricket game. In fact, uh, you know, just take a punt, you know, let's just, we had, nothing's working. Let's just uh, try and do something to confuse the players. But he did it. And um, he was, he openly spoke about it. And, um, you know, whether that is the reason why they got a wicket after that, we don't know. But, uh, you know, these are things that he used to do. And he's uh, for the, in the IPL, he has done that often. But in test cricket, I uh, yes, he definitely wasn't there. I think, you know, he was well attuned to the rhythms of one-day cricket and uh, T20 cricket. He understood it instinctively. I don't think he had that instinctive test for test cricket. And also, number two, in his defense, test cricket is also a game that is very, very hard to win if you don't have a good bowling lineup. And, uh, you know, you can probably win a one-day game with a uh, average bowling lineup. Somehow, you know, you can get a really big score and you can somehow try and restrict. But you cannot win too many test matches with an average bowling lineup. And, uh, you know, in England, Zahir Khan got injured in the very first uh, day of the test match. Um, you know, his for a lot of times in his test career as captain, he didn't have a very good bowling attack. Now, if Dhoni had uh, been able to call upon the current Indian bowling attack of, say, Bumrah, Shami, um, you know, Bhuvneshwar Kumar, Ishan Sharma, the way he's bowling now, then he might have well been a different captain. But I think he also suffered from the fact that the bowling was uh, quite poor. And um, he just felt, you know, that there's only so much he can do. No, very, very true. I mean, bowlers definitely win two matches and there's no other way around it. So, of course, we know his big accolades are, even Gautam Kampir said recently that he will probably go down as probably the only guy who has all three ICC trophies. Compared to, you know, the obvious ICC trophy accolades, where do you rank India's rise on his watch and the ICC test rankings, the number one nation? Where do you rank, rank that achievement? In terms of uh, the history of Indian cricket? And, uh, yeah, and also in, on, on Dhoni's watch. I mean, yeah, where, where is that an achievement? I think it's huge. I mean, the, more than... I mean, the World Cup, uh, of course, the World Cup in uh, 2011, even though it happened at home, I mean, it is a massive achievement. But I think uh, the 2007 victory in South Africa just came out of the blue. And uh, that was the huge uh, thing for Dhoni to have. Uh, I mean, that, Dhoni was a big factor in that. Every player who has played in that tournament uh, will tell you that, uh, you know, Dhoni was the reason why India could uh, get so far and India could win. Um, the 2013 Champions Trophy as well. I mean, that was a pretty big achievement because it was outside India. It was in England. And there too, you know, that uh, he had... Uh, Quite a few uh, interesting uh, moves as a captain, including that famous move of bowling Ishan Sharma in the end that uh, helped uh, India win. Um, the testing, I would, I would say India was a very good test team when uh, they went to number one. So, I would give the, uh, put the test number one ranking more to the efforts of, uh, you know, I would say it started with Dravid and then Kumble was there for a short while and then Dhoni. So, it was a cumulative process. And, uh, you know, when India won all those tests, under Dhoni, uh, it was a team that was built for about uh, four, four or five years rather than a team that uh, he put together himself. Uh, you know, he was lucky to have uh, Tendulkar in uh, fantastic form for a lot of that period. Um, you know, the bowling attack came together well in um, Indian games and things. So, yeah, I would, I would say, you know, uh, the short form... Uh, Efforts, I would definitely say, was largely Dhoni had a big role to play. And in the tests, I would say he had a part role to play. And it was thanks also partly to Kumle, Kumle's team and Dravid's team. You're absolutely, I mean, I, I, I can't agree more because I think uh, it's a process. Sometimes what you do in 2009 may well, very well be the uh, product of the work you put in in 2007. So I think uh, very rightly said. So let's talk about Dhoni the batsman, especially Dhoni the finisher. Again, I may be, I think, slightly older than you. I grew up watching the tail end of Gavaskar, then watched the beginning of Azhar and, you know, so on. And I always marveled at way, the way how Javed Miyadat batted. I mean, as an Indian, I was just never happy that he scored runs. But the calmness he displayed in chases and, you know, the self-assurance he had, 
besides that six in Sharjah. I mean, I saw a lot of matches when he was facing the likes of Bishop and Walsh in Sharjah. And, you know, the man just knew. He was a mental calculator, it seemed that. And I was rooting for Pakistan to lose every match as an Indian boy. And then years later, I always make this comparison. Now this comparison is very well known. Dhoni has taken chasing to a whole new, you know, platform. So there's an article, I think, again, I'm quote, quote, your colleague Monga, that in 2006 Champions Trophy, when the, the run chase fell apart, that was a transformation where Dhoni said, okay, I'm going to be there till the end from, going, uh, from going, going forward whenever, you know, we are up against a chase. So what is your recollection of, you know, how Dhoni became this world-class chaser? And, you know, there's so many memories for Indian fans from during his peak years, how he was just, you know, reading the scoreboard at his own way, taking his own style risk and then made it into a one-on-one versus a bowler and getting India over the line more often than not. Yeah, I think um, he realized pretty early that, uh, you know, if he was to stay there till the end, then the chances of um, India winning were always very high. And uh, he said as early as uh, 2007, I remember I did an interview with Robin Uthappa after that uh, victory in um, South Africa in that World T20. And he had told the team, those guys right then that, you know, you may want, you may think that a, a asking rate of uh, 12 and over or 15 and over is high, but you will be surprised how if you take it to the last two overs, then, uh, you know, uh, 24 in the last two overs with wickets in hand is actually not that hard. And uh, Robin Uthappa was saying how, you know, it is an obvious statement to make, but it is not something that you think about when you're there, you know, needing, uh, say, 100 in the last uh, nine overs or 100 in the last eight overs. You think that, you know, you have to hit every ball, but you don't realize that, uh, you know, by just staying there and by getting, just making sure that you're within striking distance, you can actually win. And Dhoni, I think, knew that early. He also had the ability to uh, comfortably take uh, 24 of the last two overs um, because also he had this whole psychology thing going. He knew that, um, you know, that there would be, the fielding team would be under pressure if uh, he was there. He knew, and he was extremely quick between wickets. So he knew that he could always take uh, twos uh, at will. He could place the ball and just run two without anyone even noticing. And so there you already have like eight or nine or eight or 10 and over. And so he ran fast. He, uh, he knew that there would be misfields as the game got closer. He always told the team that, you know, you, you guys should account for five to ten runs of misfields in the, you know, second half of the game, always. Because uh, he felt that that pressure would be there. He knew that the bowlers would invariably bowl a no ball or a wide when they came under pressure. So he worked a lot on cricketing psychology. He understood that you know, the longer he's there and the more he, uh, you know, the more the pressure will build. And uh, he won so many games just purely based on that. And uh, yeah, that's it. and that Monga article is very interesting because, you know, until that point, if you, rem- uh, if you look at 2005, 2006, in the early years of Dhoni, he was, you know, happy to come in and start swinging. And, uh, you know, he made all those big scores, 148, 183, he made a 183, um, you know, and he was a player who many people thought will be the next Adam Gilchrist, who will go open the batting and then revolutionize the game. But he actually went the reverse. He actually revolutionized the game from the lower end of the order rather than the top end of the order. And that also required him to change his game a bit. Uh, he became, um, he, he understood that he needed to eliminate all risk from his game and that he could take the risks uh, right at the end rather than taking it in the beginning. So he changed his game a bit. He adapted very well. But uh, yeah, he made up his mind that he would be there till the end and invariably he would win. I mean, that didn't happen too much in the last, say, two years. But until then, he was phenomenal. Yeah, again, that's what, uh, again, that's a very fine line. We've all discussed, I'm sure you've had friends and even though you have written professionally for cricket, uh, you know, you are as good as in like American football your last Sunday. So a lot of times, you know, there was, the knives were out for Dhoni on my Facebook and people were mocking him. And uh, even in his last World Cup, it came down to that miscalculation of that run. Maybe he could have, uh, had he, you know, had he stayed, who knows how that would have ended. But again, the, whole, the, the entire hallmark that made him such a great finisher in the last year and a half, it, you know, the numbers were against him. And that's how I hope a lot of people don't remember him. Uh, so again, 
another aspect of Dhoni that goes is, is his longevity. He played three formats. He was a wicketkeeper and his fitness. And there's an article called titled The Road Warrior, I believe he wrote for ESPN Cricket Info in 2008 when Dhoni had just not taken a break from the game. So shed some light, uh, light on the man's fitness and how much he competed and how sometimes that is overlooked at this level. Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, Dhoni, I wouldn't be surprised if Dhoni is the fittest Indian cricketer ever. You know, um, I probably even slightly better than Kapil Dev, I would think, because uh, back then they didn't play as much as they do now. You know, so uh, given the amount of workload that he took, I'm just amazed that his body held up and he could go on for so long. I mean, we're talking about a career that international career of nearly 14 years where he has been nonstop uh, across formats and also IPL, which takes a huge toll on the body with travel and, uh, you know, in the summer heat, you're playing in uh, India, not at all an easy task. Uh, he played test till, you know, for till 2014. And then after that, one day, T20, IPL, huge. I mean, um, you know, for a wicketkeeper needing to squat uh, every few minutes all day to be there and then to bat and also then to have the pressures of captaincy and things. Yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal. I think uh, had Dhoni... Uh, just uh, not not even captained India. Had he just been a wicketkeeper batsman, that itself would still be a phenomenal achievement. And uh, to think that he not only kept wickets, not only batted and made runs, he also was uh, one of the best, if not the best Indian captain ever. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, and I wrote that article in 2008. Uh, you know, I sort of uh, tallied up all the miles uh, that he had done in the flight and this and that. But... Uh, it's been 12 years after that, and uh, he has pretty much been playing nonstop throughout. I mean, you know, if you and see, it's very relevant because uh, you tagged that article a few weeks ago when Dhoni, a week ago when Dhoni retired, and I reread that article. I remember it coming out, but again, you know, the memory has only so much you can return. But the article is very, I think, it's quite reflective of you know the mileage in international cricket, especially with IPL and all these formats. Sometimes I think it's easier to be Cheteshwar Pujara, who's a glittering favorite of mine, that he's focused on only one form of cricket. Maybe that serves him longer, you know, to, to stay. Otherwise, the amount of cricket that's being played, it's, it's something else. Like yeah, and it's not just uh, physical. It's also mental. You know, it can... Uh, uh, number one, of course, you need to be supremely fit to be able to handle all the travel and, the, uh, you know, the training, the workload, the pressure. But also, at some point of time, your mind burns out. And uh, as we have seen recently, you know, there have been quite a few cricketers taking a break from cricket, you know, like uh, Glenn Maxwell and a few others, because uh, they are mentally drained out. And uh, of course, uh, a few of them also, you know, have other uh, uh, mental issues. Uh, they are, some are depressed and things. But to go through all that continuous cricketing uh, treadmill and to manage both the mental and physical side of things, really hats off to him. No, exactly. So let's wrap it up. Uh, so again, this is more like a fan narrative that's been circling and I'm sure it's not foreign to you. You must have heard it. But uh, I would just like you to give your two cents on this. Uh, they're saying in Hindi. Do you understand Hindi or should I? Uh, I understand. I mean, I, as long as it's not... Uh, uh, no, basically, it's like <laughs> you take the same stairs, uh, you know, that you've gone up and you take the same staircase to come down as well. So a lot of fans say the kind of faith Virat Kohli has shown in Dhoni, Dhoni didn't show that kind of faith to his seniors. Again, there is no way to prove it because Dhoni has been a man of few words and all media speculation. My, my question is, you think Dhoni put himself... Uh, do you think... Uh, did he stay longer in the game? I mean, that's what people are saying because he showed the doors to some of the seniors. But when it came to his turn, you think he, he outlived or... Uh, his, uh... he, he might have. Um, I mean, there's definitely a case for uh, that his game was on the wane. But I remember writing an article, uh, you know, just before the World Cup in 2019, where I, where I put out a few numbers and I found that, uh, you know, the moment the chase went beyond 300 in a one-day game, then Dhoni became a bit of a... Dhoni's, not Dhoni, but Dhoni's tactics became a bit of a liability. Because then, you know, the run rate would go up to such an extent that uh, then he would leave himself too much to do. But the moment, uh, as long as the target was within 300, Dhoni was still an asset to the team. So what I said was that, you know, given that the World Cup is going to be in England and uh, given that it could be a bowler-friendly World Cup, which, you know, a few matches ended up being bowler-friendly also, I said, um, you know, it's a touch-and-go call. 
between having dhoni and not having dhoni and also uh, you know the people who make these uh, calls always look at dhoni the batsman but dhoni the keeper is a fantastic addition to the side simply because he understands the game better than almost anyone and definitely better than the other options we had which was rishabh pant and uh, you know dinesh karthik just between the three of them i would say dhoni as a keeper uh, would have added so much more uh, he was not only a fine keeper but also just as as a strategist giving ideas to people like uh, jadeja and uh, you know the bowlers Uh, and and Kohli has shown a lot of faith in still Dhoni's, you know, the wisdom that comes out of Dhoni. So I think that's never in doubt. And I think again, I don't want to cut you off, but I think it's not because of Dhoni India didn't, you know, advance to the final. I think we didn't have a number four. That's what I always have maintained. And uh, Sharma and Kohli found the worst day to get out, you know, <laughs> in, in the semi-final. Otherwise, one of them would have carried India through. But again, that's, that's all in the past. So, so carry on. I don't want to like interject, but sometimes the fan in me. <laughs> um, no 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 that's you're totally right and uh, i i agree with you i mean uh, the fact that india got so close in that semi final is itself a marvel hats off of course to ravindra jadeja's innings and uh, you know uh, dhoni being there and uh, sort of uh, hoping for a great final over and you never know you know i mean uh, had that run out not happened who knows i mean uh, J- jimmy nisham was supposed to bowl the last over and dhoni was still there and he gets like uh he starts off with a six or something you things things could happen so i think the fact that india were even in with a chance is largely thanks to the lower order uh and um i i wouldn't uh, put the blame entirely on dhoni at all uh i would say okay i mean had had he been dropped for the world cup i would have understood why but um i also think that uh, they went with the fact that his experience and his wisdom is something that could add to the team and uh, kohli perhaps thought the same okay so we come to the end uh, thank thank you very much so last minute is uh where would i mean it's a free flowing i mean it's not even a question uh what are you telling someone who's uh, young to the game and you know just contribution of ms dhoni where would he rank in terms of his sheer impact on indian cricket so whatever way you can take this very high very high i think uh, you know i i always think uh, have said uh, dhoni and tendulkar are uh, two sides of the same coin uh one uh, came from the heart of uh, the cricketing capital in india uh, and uh, you know he sort of uh, uh, was spotted early and he was a sensation by the time he was uh, even a teenager uh, he didn't have to really prove himself in first class cricket i mean he uh, whatever he played in the early days uh, he scored 100 on debut in ranji dupli pirani whatever everything he scored and he sort of shot into the limelight and dhoni on the reverse did the went the other way he came from a non traditional cricketing center he waited his time he played his domestic cricket hardly anyone knew about him but came he had the similar kind of impact that he did so both i would say you know um, forget runs and uh, all that statistics and all that but purely in terms of impact and purely in terms of what they gave to indian cricket i would put uh, dhoni and tendulkar uh, on par i mean i would say there are two sides of the same coin and i would say it's a marvel that indian cricket is able was able to find uh, two people of such a contrast who still went on to go and have such successful careers and played together for close to 9 years exactly yeah, yeah. so yeah on that note again uh, once again thank you very much for coming on the show i certainly enjoyed it i i definitely would like you to come back time permitting uh, of course on your schedule and i hope uh, the listeners will enjoy this conversation thank you very much sadar it was a pleasure thank you sakit